Well, welcome to another episode of On the Couch with myself, Henry Jennings from Marcus Today. And today, my guest needs no introduction. I have the man himself sitting opposite me, well, at least virtually opposite me, by the powers of the great internet. But I have the man himself, Marcus Padley. So welcome, Marcus. Afternoon, Henry. I am enjoying the couch with my Marcus Today pink cushions on it. Well, they're very fetching, I have to say. So thank you very much, Marcus, for finding the time. I know you're a busy man and it has taken a little while to, uh, to sort out a convenient time. But, uh, but without further ado, we will get into it. The point of this was really that we had a number of members' questions, but we're also going to touch on some other issues as well before then in terms of where the market is and those sorts of things. But before we do kick off, I just remind all our listeners that this is general advice only. So please do your own research contact your own financial advisor regarding any of the thoughts, ideas, or insights in this podcast. Welcome, Marcus. So first up, reporting season. I know it's, it's a massively busy time for all of us trying to digest all this information uh, that we see constantly, especially on a Thursday, super Thursday. I mean, it's crazy. 25 companies today alone, crazy stuff. Um, which companies out there have impressed you the most so far in the reporting season? Well, the most obvious one has been one that's caused us the most pain, which has been CSL. I don't know how big the stock is in terms of ranking in the ASX 200, it's almost certainly in the top 10, and we have a large holding in it. It's underperformed for the last couple of years, and it has been a pandemic victim, I think you would call it, with particularly collections, particularly in the US, dropping away thanks to the pandemic, people not wanting to get out. and. Finally, their results, I think they were up 8.5% on the day of their results, and they're following through, and the brokers like it as well. And that has been the biggest relief. And a lot of the results, I think the theme that's run through them is that there are a heck, as, as you read the results coming out, you realize how many companies have struggled with COVID and just how many COVID recovery stocks there are around and they are many and varied and CSL is clearly one of them at the same time the share price is bottom of its trading range good results often start trends I'm hoping the finally the outperformance is going to recur for CSL after two years in the cold yeah, it's funny with CSL, it was one that I talked about a lot on Ausbiz about a post-SPP bounce. Uh, the SPP for shareholders, it was a biggie as well, 450-odd million bucks uh, they raised in that SPP. And that was done around $253. So you're looking, you're sitting pretty at the moment, $276. So uh, you've done well on the back of those results. But are there any other stocks out there? That I guess there's been some disappointments as well. And uh, I see that uh, net wealth has been one of those where we're seeing some cost pressures, I guess, in the financial planning and platform or wealth platform industry. Is that one of the, the bigger disappointments or have there been others out there that you've seen? The results themselves, I don't think, were in themselves a major disappointment. But what they have done for us or for me is highlight that this was a, an industry a little bit uh, a little bit like a, a BNPL, there's a land grab, there are huge margins to be had. And these companies, be it Hub24, Premium or uh, NetWealth, have been taking market share off the big managed funds, particularly off things like 
uh, industry funds. But what, what's been going on is that financial planners have suddenly realized that instead of putting all their clients on, say, an AMP platform or an Asgard platform, which charges quite high fees to access managed funds, which then charge fees as well, that the financial planner using an SMA can access managed funds on behalf of their clients and effectively take the fee that Asgard was taking. And so there are now a lot of funds set up or migrating uh, onto SMA platforms and the fund managers such as ourselves, we run an SMA on a, a platform with premium, are realizing that this is a uh, easy way to enter the funds management business from an individual broker running a portfolio for all his clients to a financial planner running all their clients on uh, uh, an SMA. It's been a huge growth industry and it's been taking money off managed funds. What's obviously uh, not so much managed funds, but off the expensive platforms. And what's obviously happening now is that that industry, which was huge growth, great big margins, in order to dominate, in order to uh, meet expectations of growing industry, they're having to spend a lot of money. And it's not massive stuff. You've got uh, um, net wealth adding 25 staff in IT, and suddenly they're not making uh, a profit. Uh, whereas previously they had earnings growth of anywhere from 20 to 30 percent, and and now it's a, a negative number. I'm sure they'll get over that. I'm sure the industry will keep growing, but for the moment, the easy money has been made, I think, and that whole industry is turning the top. They're on PEs of 58, almost all three of those, and for businesses that are seeing margins now under pressure, uh, that those prices are too expensive. So we had it held it as a net wealth as a, one of our forever stocks, but I think it's time just back off that whole industry, see what, see how all the uh, cards land. Uh, Premium had the same problem; they made a loss on uh, a few days before net wealth, and uh, um, that whole that whole industry is now seeing margin pressure. So no longer a an easy growth stock now a uh, commodity offering that is getting um, that's seeing margin pressure. So we're out of net wealth. So yes, that was uh, not so much disappointment, but a bit of an eye opener that that, that growth trend is beginning to end. I, I guess a lot of us have always thought in the past that there's sort of a fixed cost and then there's a platform and the more money you suck in the top that just drops straight through to the platform. But clearly uh, there are cost pressures in the business, as you rightly point out that uh, hadn't really been fully appreciated either by uh, some fund managers or by the market as a whole. So interesting to see that. Now, moving along swiftly, um, Poseidon Nickel, that was your one-stop portfolio. How's that going? Where's Have we got an that's, update there? That's, that's <laughs> uh, going okay. Uh, Poseidon Nickel, uh, we should explain. I only have, at the moment, I think, two PA holdings. Someone actually sent a question in saying, why doesn't Marcus trade more? And if he's got access to him, the only company I own is Pods. Well, it's not actually true. I own EGL as well. Uh, the question is why, given my expertise, access to expertise, knowledge of investing, uh, why aren't I trading like a dervish? Uh, <laughs> a, a lot of members would understand this already because I have explained it. But in my position as a licensed person, particularly writing in a newsletter, it's the same as a broker giving advice 
that uh, he, uh, you need permission from compliance every time you trade. So I have to put an email to compliance, get permission to deal in something. That stock can't have been in the newsletter in the last couple of days, or I can't have any information that nobody else has got, and I can't buy it and then start marketing like mad. So uh, it's easier, and I think you do the same thing, Henry. It's easier for me to put the money in our own SMA or in a, a super fund. I could happily be in an industry super fund without having all these compliance issues, not just industry, by the way. I keep mentioning industry funds, but it could be any uh, major managed fund or minor managed fund, but something I'm not managing. So I can't trade all the time. I would love to, but I just can't trade all the time. But Poseidon Nichols, one of the few stocks I hold, and I've held it for a long time. The CEO is godfather to one of my daughters, uh, hence the um, faith in the man. Uh, who I know very well, who's got integrity. He has done this before with Sally Malay, turned a uh, exploration company into a producer. Poseidon Nicholas sitting on a couple of projects that used to produce, and it's a question of the nickel price rising far enough to make those viable. And in order to accelerate that, uh, proving up other resources would help. But at this point, they expect to be back in production by uh, December this year. And uh, it's, it's not a, you talk about a speculative stock. Peter has planned out the timeline for getting back into production. And I believe that when they do, the share price won't be sitting around 10 cents. I've seen it before with Sally Malay. Pete listed that at 20 cents on the same day as an aeroplane hit a building in 2001. And the broker rang up, said, you sure you want to list today? He said, oh, look, let's just get on with it and do it. And the, the first trade, I think, was 14 cents and it had listed at 20 cents. And Peter rang me up and said, Marcus, have you, I was broking. Marcus, have you got anyone who can buy these shares? The only people buying it at the moment or holding it are me and my dad. And <laughs> I said, Pete, it's nickel in WA. No one's interested. And of course, that went to $6 from 14 cents. And how stupid do I look? Anyway, I'm not going to get caught out a second time as he becomes the CEO of Poseidon Nickel with a a project he understands extremely well that just needs the nickel price up and a few more resources, which he's finding, by the way, uh, to get back in production, which hopefully will happily be in December. And I'm pretty sure the share price isn't going to be sitting around 10 cents. So it's an investment of faith in Peter, who I know is experienced and does have integrity. He may come from the w WA, but he is a uh, he is no spiv and he has a great in great industry reputation as well. So. That's why uh, that's why him. The other uh, stock I hold at the moment is EGL Environmental Group. And this was something I bought when I saw the tox free management join the company. And they are trying to do what they did with tox free solutions with EGL. There is more cleanup to be done in Australia than EGL could possibly handle. And this is just a question of getting around the technology. It's not a question of finding things to do. There is much more to do than they could possibly get on with. It's a question of scaling up the company. They're, now they've got the management to do it. It's performed very well. And that idea was given to me by a, a broker analyst some time ago, uh, sitting on a, a deck chair on the beach. And uh, that's something else I would say about if you are 
as a member trying to find decent ideas. There is uh, what I would call, I get in trouble for this, there, there is, in, I, but I've said it a thousand times, there is inside information everywhere, not illegal inside information, but information everywhere. Talk to people and ask them, what industry are you in? How's your industry going? Who are the biggest competitors? And you'll find that there is an enormous amount of market sensitive information right in front of you be it how busy people how how busy how long did you cure jb hi-fi at christmas there are all sorts of things to be uh, seen and are available that's uh, no nothing to do with being illegal you just have to ask so when you're sitting on the beach with a stockbroker ask him what stock he last bought and see if he's got a good story it's um, going back to uh, Poseidon Nickel. I mean, with mining companies, there are certain hurdles, there are certain benchmarks, there are certain catalysts, and you can see the timeline for a comparable company, Panoramic Resources, which is one we've held in the small cap portfolio for a while. And they've been, I guess, in a bit of a race to re uh, get back into production, I guess, against Poseidon Nickel. Uh, they've just done their second shipment and uh, the stock price has gone from 14 cents to 26 cents during that time so you can see as production comes on and with poseidon at the end of this year that they will get a re-rating because they go from a, a constructor to a producer if you like and that does attract a higher rating now okay let's um let's kick off with the first question and this is a question without notice but i have had this mentioned to me many times so marcus are you related to Bill Nye? <laughs> Emery, I'm not related to Bill Nye, but it does turn out the love of my life it is you. It's a chubby <laughs> assistant. <laughs> I did open myself up for that one, didn't I, really? Yeah, you did, yeah. But no, no relation. Uh, they, it's a bit of a move on. People used to think I was Michael Palin. Now I'm Bill Nye. It's just a question of... Uh, uh, which which accent I decide to put on, and as you know, we we British are very good at our accents. There you go. We we are. You can travel one street, and the whole accent changes. All right. Well, let's get into the question now. The first question is from Susie, who asked a question. This was following my uh, podcast with uh, Nick Griffin from Munro, and she asked about whether it's better to invest in a growth manager such as Munro or whether you should go for an ETF alternative, bearing in mind the lower fees with ETF. What, what do you think about that question? I guess it's, it's a question that's dominated the finance industry now for the last five years, really. Yeah, and it's something that's come into focus after the uh, success and fall of Magellan and Hamish Douglas. Um, Nick Munro, I saw at the AIA some years ago, and I thought, what a smart guy. And for Australians, well, his niche is a bit like Magellan. His niche is international equities. I feel Magellan a little bit uh, was a bit like an oil tanker and going downstream. It happened to invest in a lot of technology stocks internationally, which over the five last five years have been absolutely fantastic investments as the internet turned domestic US companies into global behemoths. And uh, I, I sort of feel that Magellan was in the right place at the right time. I think with uh, Nick Munro, you've got a really smart guy with a smart team coming up with ideas and they are not necessarily on an oil tanker going, going downstream. Uh, they are driving the boat and they are driving the boat with their ideas. And I would 
recommend anyone goes onto Munro's website, looks at their, I'm not sure what the tab would be called, insights or recent media or something like that, and listen to what Nick has to say about long-term themes and the stocks that get washed along with those themes. It is really interesting stuff. As far as whether Nick is a uh, has got an international fund that you should invest in. Uh, that's not for me to say. You just need to check out performance relative to an ETF. Of course, the great thing about ETFs is that they are low volatility, low cost, but they're also low brain, no brain in many cases, and uh, in some cases, no human beings involved. So uh, I, I think the colourful part of the stock market is the fund managers. If you talk to Jeff Wilson about a fund, he immediately starts telling you about the fund manager and the character and the individual and the success they had. And that is a very experienced fund manager telling you that it is not about what you're invested in, it's about who is doing it. So the most colorful side of the funds management world is who are the fund managers, what do they do? And I would say, do anything but bore me in an ETF. I'd far prefer to take the volatility and potential uh, significant success of a smart, colorful uh, individual such as Nick Munro uh, over a boring ETF that includes everything, even the rubbish. I'd prefer someone who is taking, making some effort to exclude the rubbish and uh, invest in the good stuff. And that's certainly what Nick does. That's a great segue into the next question, which comes from Peter, uh, which says he likes your Fufu portfolio, which has now um, been renamed. But he was wondering if it's possible to narrow down the core to, say, 10 companies rather than uh, 30 or 40 of the companies there. Um, is that uh, a good way to go? The creme de la creme, the Amway of investing, 10, 10 companies, relatively high conviction, I guess. Is that something that uh, would be um, you would be advising some people to do? Oh, absolutely. I th uh, I, if I was an individual, the Fufu portfolio for, for members, we've moved the name on. We now call it the forever portfolio. The Fufu was uh, forever unless it Fs up. And I thought we'd get traction. We did get traction, but I thought we'd get more traction with an off the wall name than a plain vanilla uh, growth, uh, international growth or absolute return or conviction or one of those standard lines. I wanted to call it something different also to make the point that our portfolios no longer reflected our real portfolios, our SMAs. So I called it Fufu, but it's now called Forever. Uh, and those stocks are supposed to be forever. And there are companies, uh, these, co these companies are companies that I have picked out as having long-term relative outperformance. And for anyone who watches the newsletter closely, you'll see we have what we call, or I call the orange charts, which show performance relative to the ASX 200. And almost all the stocks on the list have had bottom left to top right charts relative to the ASX 200. In other words, they're long-term outperformers. Now, if there happen to be more than 10 of them, they, they've gone into the portfolio. And yes, we might have 30 of them. And uh, But the idea really of the newsletter is that we're giving you ideas and you might want to pick out the 10. But I do understand 30 is too many. 
it would be better to focus on the 10, but having managed the SMAs over the last few years, and we had a, a year of great performance, a year of poor performance, but that poor performance year caused me more angst than I could possibly explain to anybody. And I got rather shy of being a convicted stock picker. The funds management world doesn't work that way. You have to have more of an eye on risk than conviction because a convicted portfolio will attract people for a year and lose them all money the next year. A uh, risk conscious portfolio will give everybody a good ride for a long period of time and that's the goal. And so we have quite a lot of stocks in the uh, forever portfolio. But yes, I think Peter, good point. We should probably prune that down a little bit and with the market dithering as it is at the moment i'm i think that's probably a good idea as i say i've, I've cut a, a net wealth and i'm looking through all the stocks we've just had results and seeing if there are a few other week few others we can prune and uh, unfortunately if we did get down to 10 you'll probably find they're really quite boring stocks might sound <laughs> silly but stocks that might outperform but not desperately outperform they won't transform you but maybe that's what you want anyway we'll continue we'll continue to prune maybe we'll get to 10 companies but i get the point peter yeah i'll try and do better than have too many stocks uh it's an interesting point i've, I've been actually asked to be on the osbiz investment committee and they've sent me a the portfolio they have of all their stock picks from all their experts there's 130 on there currently and they're trying to prune them them down to 10 or 15 stocks. So that's going to be a Herculean task. I think I'd rather go with the stables cleaning than that. But um, that, that's going to be interesting how that works, works out. Now, um, we had a question from Alice as well. Alice wanted to know, fundamental or technical? Which camp do you sit in or do you have a foot in both? Well, I think Alice's question says, or a mixture of both. And does he have a set of rules like Chrissy sticks to? Uh, if he uses what fundamental analysis, uh, if he uses fundamental, what data does he use to assist his decision to buy? Um, Alice, we, uh, I've always said this, if you, if you uh, shut your mind to anything that will help you pick stocks, then you are being blinkered. And the Intelligent Investor book, which everybody has sitting on their bedside, not bedside table, in their study bookshelf, uh, cover, covered in dust and only the first two, three pages have ever been read because it's essentially a very boring book. If you read that book, you will realize in the first, I think it's in the first two pages, they dismiss technical analysis as being completely, uh, I, I'm trying to think of the adjective, if I could read you the paragraph, uh, uh, as a folly and in so doing the most popular book in the stock market in from the 1950s onwards divided people into technical or fundamental advocates and or, or devotees and uh, never has that wall come down you're either technical or you're fundamental and it's a little bit pathetic when in fact there is a whole spread from the day trading crypto or currency trader using one minute or one second charts 
all the way down to the very rich person who's stuck their money in some stocks they've heard of and they're never ever going to sell them because they're going to hand them to their children and there's every different color in between so uh, use everything that's useful that's fundamental and technical and if you were to ask uh, what data does he use it's a combination of everything and it really you can't do it on one stock it entirely depends on on your own risk profile as to what will attract you. But I think one of the most obvious ones, or uh, if I was to search, say, the ASX 300 and put in a criteria for my risk profile, I'm always, always uh, going to put in a market cap limit because I don't want to uh, be swamped by the tiny weeny companies at the bottom and there's plenty of volatility in the bigger stocks in Australia because we're a pretty small market. Uh, I'd probably put in a market cap uh, criteria and then the first thing I'd go to would be return on equity. The last thing I would go to is, which I know it's the first thing many uh, members would go to, the last thing I'd go to is yield. And that again is a reflection of my uh, risk profile, level of wealth, uh, target what what return I'm targeting I'm still earning so I just don't need an, an income a five percent income doesn't interest me uh, I'm if I'm going to bother investing I'm going to try and be uh, growing my money so my criteria would be looking for, for growth companies one of the things I wouldn't take too much notice of which might sound silly but PEs are <laughs> PEs especially in COVID where earnings have been flung around uh, the PEs are very misleading, particularly at the moment, and a very poor gauge. And to give you an example, and maybe I'll do this in the newsletter, if you pulled out the highest PEs in the market, in the ASX 200 and the lowest PEs, you'd find all the stocks that would classically be called expensive because they've got high PEs are the really quality growth stocks because everybody likes them. And all the ones with the lowest PEs would be the rubbish. And you go buying those at your peril. So uh, wouldn't take too much emphasis on PE or for my sake, yield. In fact, for a growth stock, I don't want to see a yield. If you're earning a return on equity of 20%, which means for every dollar I give you, you're going to hand me 20 cents back by the end of the year. I don't want you to hand it back to me. I want you to reinvest it. And then you get a compounding. You don't need to compound the dividends. They can compound their profits into investing in the business. And you get a compounding without the uh, dividend, if you see what I mean. The company's compounding it for you at 20% without paying you a yield. That's what I want to see. That's probably what I, uh, at this point in my life, uh, I'd be targeting high ROE growth companies, no yield. And I wouldn't care too much about the PE. Anyway, I could witter on all day. But uh, uh, thanks for your question, Alice. Um, it, it is an interesting point you make there, actually, Marcus, about the, the compounding, because many investment advisors talk about the power of compound interest, etc., and Einstein's uh, greatest uh, law there in, in that power in the universe. But as you point out, if the company is investing it and can do better than you and can grow their business, um, then that compounding works not only in owning the shares, but also, of course, in getting the return on the dividend. So that is a very interesting point that a, a lot of people should uh, bear in mind when they complain that maybe the dividends aren't quite so good. Um, now, um, you've said a number of times that you're working on a list, a bit like uh, people at Christmas time, uh, to buy uh, once the market uh, has sort of cleared, once the risk has gone. Uh, the risk is never going to really clear i guess in the in the market terms there's always something out there but are there are there five kind of stocks that you've been looking at that maybe 
you think, okay, now is the right time, regardless of uh, Ukraine and regardless of interest rates. But as the market has uh, got a bit more buoyant, are there five stocks out there you think we should be looking at? Oh, Henry, there is a there is a question without notice, which if I had notice, I would have five stocks for you immediately. But again, any any five stocks I name would only suit certain people, I think. At this point, I would say one of the and if you're a fund manager, I can tell you in Australia with 50, uh, 49% of the market being financials and iron ore, I would be considering iron ore as one of the most important trades in the market. And we did very well getting back into it when it bottomed recently. So rather than saying this is a stock I would buy and hold, I would say one of the most important trades to keep an eye on because it gives you a very low risk rally and uh, that the pivot points are quite noticeable is iron ore and you could do that through BHP or Rio uh, or Fortescue of course at the moment it just looks like it's topping out a little bit but I don't want to uh, make this a um, time sensitive podcast no. but timing that would be good the other theme that has uh, clearly matured a little bit is something you wrote about Henry, which is the machine that is the, the bank sector. And I think for a lot of our members who are income focused, it seems that the clouds have cleared on the bank sector, especially with interest rates going up again. And when you saw the CBA profits recently, were they up 23% making $4.7 billion? That's $200 per man, woman and child in Australia of unnecessary profit. And they've done that in six months. As you wrote, the machine is back in action and it doesn't matter what the Hain Royal Commission said, their profits are still going to be huge. They will continue to be. So I think one of the, uh, uh, ideas for members is it looks safe to be just chasing banks for income and I had a very interesting email the other day in response to that article I wrote about retirement and what's your retirement calculation you can find that article in our archives on the website retirement stories it's called really interesting article but one member simply wrote that he put all his money in the CBA because everybody's mucking about trying to find a, a an income portfolio and one of the most clicked things on the internet is 10 dividend stocks you have to own there is there is one sector and one stock and it's the cba that a retiree could essentially assuming the cba is not going to blow itself up which it probably will now uh, but uh, there is an idea that this is the income stock. They've got a big payout ratio. They are perpetually profitable. They've got no competition other than the other three banks. But the point is, in the UK, there is competition from international banks. There are no international banks can be bothered to compete over here on the high street. They're sticking to their knitting, which is very profitable. And that is uh, probably another theme I would... Uh, uh, be aware of. Otherwise, uh, I would say from a personal point of view, my interest really is in small, not necessarily small caps, but uh, finding that stock that is going to transform you, that one stock portfolio stock, that's the most fun part. And that is where the most money will be made or lost. But I only ever do that with money that I am prepared to lose. For some, to some of you, that might be quite a bit of money. Uh, you know, I, I would be 
I would be a $50,000 trade type of thing, probably minimum, but I'd only have a couple of them, but I'd be looking to transform myself with that, but I could afford to lose $50,000. So it's high risk uh, stuff. But that's why I, th I find the most fun in the market is finding the uh, EGLs, the environmental group or uh, the Poseidon Nickel. And it's not short term, it's, it's quite long term stuff. But it is, I do want to see growth and um, mid cap, small caps tend to do that. And of course, Henry, you've been brilliant at directing members on small companies during the bull market. Let's hope the bull market doesn't stop or you'll go from hero to zero. But you've certainly been a hero over the last couple of years. And I think some of the stuff we've done in the newsletter on small caps has just been a phenomenal value. You should see some of the testimonials and emails we've had while well, you have seen them. Yeah, I, I got to say, I mean, it's, it's easy to look good in a bull market. It gets harder in a bear market and it certainly has been harder in the last month or so. Um, I got to say that that retirement stuff you did was absolutely brilliant. And it is the start and it has been the start for uh, me with an, with conversations with a number of my uh, peers, people of my age, because I'm coming up to being 60, which is a bit scary. But it, it has been a, a fantastic thought provoker. Uh, and uh, I think it's been brilliant that our members have contributed and that you've put it into uh, into words and, and put that out there. It's been it's been very insightful, I think, on so many fronts. So anyway, a um, couple more questions before we finish off. Um, I guess one of them is uh, goes towards what you were talking about with the SMA and how hard it is sometimes to be a fund manager. And this this goes uh, to Magellan and, and Hamish. Uh, Douglas, uh, obviously, you you can feel for him, and we can all feel for him the pressure he was under. Is there is there a price or is there a time that you'd look at uh, Magellan again? It, it was such a market darling, and everybody loved it, and everybody went to the Hamish Rockstar show. Is there a, a time to look at that one again, or are we just way too early still? This this was a question we did have. Absolutely, there'll be a time, and it probably won't be related to Hamish as an individual, it'll be related to their asset classes and how well they're doing, be that a resurrection in technology or uh, a resurrection in, in the Chinese market and the big technology end or wherever they're investing. Uh, there, there will be a time when their asset classes start to perform and when you or I could probably run their fund, Henry, and uh, make a success of it. But I, one thing I would say uh, to everybody is uh, this is funds management at the pointy end is is cyclical. And I would name a couple of funds that have you, you never count them out. And one of them uh, I'll let you talk about, Henry. Uh, but the other one is uh, Steve Johnson with Forager. Steve had a terrible year. And I felt like ringing him up and uh, just saying, mate, it'll, it'll be fine. And then the next couple of years, he has absolutely kicked the lights out. And this is the problem with funds management. The uh, focus is very short term. And I, I, uh, it's a really tough, really tough profession, as Hamish will tell you. Uh, but uh, if the strategy is right, and clearly Steve's has been, uh, there is a... Uh, you have to stick with it. And the one, the other one I'd mention is, of course, the long short fund, Henry. You can probably talk about that. 
Um, yeah, I guess I can. I mean, this is one that we uncovered uh, during uh, the, the big sell-off as trading at a big, big discount. And we got pretty comfortable with Mark Landau and his team there. And the great thing that I loved about this one, without going into too much detail, because I've gone into this so many times, is that they were transparent. They actually reported their NTA every day. Okay, it ran two or three days behind. But you could see, you could see the pattern. You could see what they were doing. You could, uh, it was great communication and more importantly as well, I guess, is that they were buying shares themselves. The directors were putting their own money in and have done. And it has been an absolute stunning performer. I've had Mark on the podcast uh, before and it was uh, really good to catch up with him. And we still chat by uh, email, etc. So um, that's certainly been a really good fund to have invested in. Marcus, I have a few more questions for you. Ethical investing. Is that something that we would uh, push in the newsletter or we just leave it up to other people to decide what they want to play with, whether they want to be in pokies or alcohol, etc.? I think that is something that, uh, uh, of course, everyone is pandering now to ESG. And I would just say to people that it's your choice. What you'll find, or if we were to have an ethical fund, what you would find most fund managers don't actually have an ethical fund in, in, in that they're investing in companies that are ethical. They have a non-unethical fund. So you don't invest in companies that you feel are unethical. But I can tell you most fund managers aren't particularly, uh, it's probably the wrong thing to say, uh, are not particularly ethical. They're commercial. And if there's a requirement for them to be ethical, they'll be ethical. Uh, but the the truth is that some of the unethical stocks are some of the uh, fabulous performers, you know, aristocrat leisure, for instance, pokies. And uh, there are all sorts of uh, examples of companies that are unethical. So I, I, my job and your job, Henry, is to give people ideas that make them money. And if you want to be ethical as a member, uh, then you need to pick and choose uh, the ideas we give you. I think for us to focus too much on being ethical would be a uh, commercial uh, decision where we were trying to present an image that was more attractive to members rather than the real purpose for us, which is make people money. And if members want to be ethical, it's pretty clear which stocks are unethical and you can avoid those yourselves. But I'm not going to exclude 10% or whatever it is of the stock market from the newsletter for ethical uh, purposes, uh, because that's not commercial for us. So uh, I will allow members to uh, pick and choose how ethical they are. And apologies that I am not going to crusade. I will not, cru I have to say, someone in my position gets a lot of emails asking me to crusade for all sorts of things. I will not join crusades. And ethical isn't necessarily a crusade, but uh, I'm not I'm not going to cut a percentage of the stocks we talk about for ethical reasons, I'm afraid uh, I would commercially I would lose more members than I gain doing that. So I won't do that. Marcus, I have one more question for you as time is getting short and you're a busy man. I don't want to hold you up anymore. Thank you for sharing with us today. My last question, given your propensity for new hobbies can you ensure that when you have the next garage sale that you let all the members know because i suspect you might be inundated with people looking for new toys and new things new challenges 
Um, so can you um, can you ensure that you notify us about the next garage sale? You're off on a, an adventure motorbike uh, thing in March as well. Yes, well, I, Archie did, did say, Dad, do you realize we've got nine vehicles? I have got four <laughs> children, so there are six of us, and there are a couple of motorbike motorbikes hanging around as well. So, uh, but what occurred to me was uh, not only have I got nine vehicles, uh, despite my daughter, old, oldest daughter being twenty-five, uh, I am paying the insurance and <laughs> red show on every single one of them. It's about time that stopped. But yeah, if I have a garage sale, I tell you there'll be a couple of motorbikes, there'll be some surf skis. <laughs> There'll be a punching bag, which has never been hit, a heck of a lot of weights, three surf, not surfboards, uh, three sup boards, two of which have got leaks in them. And uh, I'm, sh I'm sure there's some other, oh, golf, and of course, there are a few sets of golf clubs, Henry. <laughs> Um, so yes well spotted there there are a few fads I, i've got a brother-in-law that fads as well uh, and he's just had to get houses with bigger and bigger garages uh, <laughs> but boats and cars uh, he's a little bit wealthier than i am um and uh, i'm surprised he's still married quite honestly but uh yes i'm a, I'm a bit of a fadder at surf skiing at the moment so. i think it's an aladdin's cave in 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 there and a lot of members would be on your doorstep banging on the door at seven o'clock going, sell me that, please. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> well, Marcus, thank you once again for uh, for taking some of the members' questions. I haven't got through all of them, and I apologize if uh, if your question didn't come up, but I've tried to keep them as interesting as possible, and uh, given the time constraints, and it's been very generous of Marcus to spare us 40-odd uh, minutes of his time to, uh, to talk to members, and I'm sure you'll get a lot out of it. So thanks, Marcus. It's been great. Uh, thanks, Henry. And uh, we do have the questions. I might answer a few of them in the newsletter, in, a, in the Ask Marcus section, which uh, has gone by the wayside recently. I'll re regenerate that. And thanks very much, Henry. And thanks for everything you've done for us and for members in the last uh, year or two, Henry. Some of those, some of you have transformed lives in smaller companies. Long may it continue. Well, thank you for that. I've got to say, it's always lovely to get an email from someone who has had an amazing experience. So as you say, but it is easy in a bull market. So let's not yeah. get carried away. Humble is a good idea. Thanks, Marcus. It's been great. Thanks, Henry.